When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay no price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co host, Tam and Rich. How we doing? Jordan, we are doing well, I think. I hope you're doing well, because all of the big issues are taken care of. Aaron Donald is signed. Jordan, are you actually going to get a vacation? I'm so glad you led with this, Rich. Um, I am going to get a vacation. Not not right now. We yeah. have uh, we have too many fun things to talk about. But extremely extremely looking forward to uh, going off the grid. However, currently in the process of getting some really fun projects set up for people so when i am on vacation you will still have some really fun very cool hopefully uh hopefully good stuff to read over at theathletic.com um and appreciate you guys as always looks like uh looks like a pretty big day for us rich yeah well you know we're turning this into a podcast so those of you who are listening later on uh, you, you you will be surprised but those of you who are in the live room right now and thank you all for joining us i see the numbers going up and up uh, can see that we have a very special guest today, uh, Kevin Demoff, COO of the L.A. Rams, the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams. Not only here to talk some nonsense with us, but also to answer your questions. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. We've got some time here. We want to run some things by Kevin first. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I had to wait for the pause, right? I don't know the timing exactly for you guys. I, <laughs> I don't either. If, it, if it's like a three count, a four count, but uh, there, there's part of me that's thrilled to be doing this and part of me that immediately regrets agreeing to to jump on. Yeah, that's that's um, totally fair. And, and, and do this. So, you know, it, it's a mixed bag. But, but sitting here on June 13th with players and coaches now gone for the summer, uh, great time to get caught up and – I kept pushing off Jordan's request as long as I could just so we could have some of this <laughs> some of this stuff worked out so I didn't have to answer questions in like weird fashion. Yes, and super grateful for that uh, because, you know, it's always nice to not be in the middle of one of these live rooms or live episodes when something happens. So shout out to you guys for getting everybody taken care of and out of the building in a timely in a timely fashion and and honestly Kevin I think that immediately as you jumped into this uh live room and saw Kevin Demoff uh for the athletic it's okay if you immediately started regretting your decision but how nice is that how cool is that to have a, a third host on on uh on one of these sessions and frankly I think Rich immediately regrets his decision every time I I lead him in in the manner in which we've been doing for a couple of years now on 11 personnel. Uh, I, I think we can make this a permanent thing. We'll just, we'll just have yeah. a three man, three permanent person. employee, Kevin Demoff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say, you know, prior to Jordan, you know, it's hard to believe there were those days, you know, I remember thinking the pandemic, Rich, you, Vinny and I did like a two hour marathon <laughs> one. Cause, cause of the pandemic, nobody had anything else to do. So, yeah, right. Which, which I think was how like this June podcast, tribute started so but uh it is fun i can look in the chat as we're joking and see a picture of myself in the athletic and i'm going to (laughs) go off and pen my essay why i joined the athletic and and move on you know what i'm looking for i'm looking for a a tony p in the guests within the room i'm looking for a a tony p to see if he has any questions i'm looking for uh, uh, a sean m although hopefully he is finally taking his own break uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but Kevin, we, we do appreciate you being on with us today. Um, I do want to jump right into it. We've got a lot of people in the chat right now, and we'll, we will definitely make sure we're getting to as many questions as possible. Kevin has been super generous with his time uh, and has agreed, for better or for worse, to be generous with his time as well today. Just going to put that out in the public so that so that everyone hears it. <laughs> so um, I do want to jump 
jump in initially though with the, the this past week that you guys had. Um, my sense, Kevin, is that this was always going to happen um, before this sort of break, or that was the goal. You guys were very, very public about that for a long time, getting Aaron done, uh, getting Cooper done, and even before that, getting Matthew done. But can you kind of take us behind the scenes of what a week like that is like and how you guys as a group maneuver, not just balancing the finances of all of, all of this in real time, um, but also getting these deals actually s- sealed and rolled out? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think it's a, a huge group effort that really starts at the very beginning, you know, of the off season and, you know, starts with the conversation of Sean, Les, Tony, Cassandra, everybody who's involved in our football operation from the personnel side, you know, the John McKay's of the world, uh, the James Gladstones, you get Reggie, Scott involved, and it really outlines, okay, it starts with who are the free agents? Who are the people who are coming up in a year? You know, who are the people who might be in line for a new contract? And then you start to work through the budget, your limitations from a salary cap, from a budget standpoint. And then I think you just get to some natural points where deals get done, right? There's a natural point uh, before the start of free agency where really guys who are coming up uh, get done um, or right away. I think that's where Stafford, you know, Matthew Stafford really gets done in that window with a year left and, you know, that was really the first priority, mainly because he had a year left, not because he was more valuable, but truly you're looking at a player with the year left and, you know, you kind of see the quarterback market moving and you want to get ahead. And Matthew had a $10 million roster bonus at the very beginning of the offseason that if you didn't get a deal done before that, that would limit your ability to rewrite his contract in a way that was favorable to help kind of check the rest of the boxes. From there, you kind of immediately jumped into Aaron Donald conversations and Jordan, I think you you've cover them well. You know, I think with Aaron, it was always the sense that he wanted to come back, that he was committed to coming back, but deep down, he wanted to make sure that he really wanted to come back for all the right reasons. We got that sense pretty much in February and March that he was there, but we also knew that it was going to take a deal that he felt was commensurate with his value. And, you know, I think there are a lot of unique things about Aaron Donald's deal, but we're also entering year five of a $7 million deal. Um, which probably changed some of that. And so we were always willing to go explore that um, and see where it would land. And I think the goal was, you know, during the offseason, Aaron spent so much of his time in the offseason in Pittsburgh with the team's blessing. He's got his kids there. He's working out like crazy. If there's one player you never worry about being in shape or doing the work, it's Aaron Donald. Um, and so, you know, mandatory minicamp was always a time when he was expected to come, take his physical, be part, be around for Sean McVay's wedding, uh, so that was always kind of the general time frame we had been hoping for um, that you'd like to get it done. It could have gone longer. Uh, great credit to, you know, to Tony and crew that it didn't. And then I think, you know, with Cooper, we'd always been pretty clear with Cooper that, you know, Matthew was priority one. Aaron, just given the retirement talk, you know, was two and Cooper was really two B. Um, and so much of Cooper's deal structure was dependent on how Aaron's deal finished up, what we would have left under the cap, what we'd have left from a cash budget standpoint. Uh, Cooper was always great about that. And, and once kind of the, you know, I'd say about three or four weeks ago, once Aaron's deal kind of, we had a sense of where it was headed, we started the conversations with Cooper and, you know, really trying to get it done before he left. Not not necessarily because of the time frame or because you had to get it done, but it's just better for everybody. You get this five-week break. It's not lingering over Cooper's head. It's not lingering over the team's head. Uh, certainly it doesn't drag on. You don't show up to training camp with questions about it. Uh, I think it just clears the decks and allows everybody to leave, you know, in a great positive mindset. We had a terrific off season. And when we come back July 22nd, 23rd, whatever the date is in Irvine, we're ready to roll. Yeah. And I want to follow up on that specifically because there's some nuance too with, with these contracts in that in the past, you guys had done the high profile, high caliber extensions, even before, and this is not necessarily pertaining to the Matthew Stafford conversation, but pertaining to players who, you know, like Jared or Todd, who maybe weren't quite ready, you know, wouldn't be stereotypically, I guess, ready for the new deal. But you guys did so early on as a to sort of reward them for for where they had been in the past year. And so how what about that period of time um, and then sort of juxtaposed with this period of time? What about that makes this time different? And then and then how have you guys I guess, learned more about 
what it takes to sustain the type of ecosystem that you've now set up and understanding, I guess it's fragility in a way, but also the ways it has to be harmonious with itself. Look, I think historically in this new CBA since 2011, we've always been willing to try to look at deals uh, after that first three-year period. It started with Robert Quinn, if you go way back when, um, coming off his 19-and-a-half sack season uh, where he set the club record. We did a deal with him. You know, we did, you know, deal with Tavon. We did it with Jared. Uh, we did it with Todd. Um, you know, we, we've kind of always looked at, you know, that group. And a lot of it is just the way the structures, you know, before the year five option kicks in. We haven't had a first rounder, you know, in so long. So that's changed a little bit of how you do it. But I, I think, you know, for us, the viewpoint's always been trying to be aggressive and getting out in front of deals, uh, both to give us greater planning, um, you know, to give the player peace of mind, they've earned it, and to treat them well. Um, and also to show the locker room that you're going to reward the players who, who do the work and, and deserve, you know, new deals. And I, I think that's always one of the hidden things that's probably missing in some of the analysis of deals is is your own team, your own culture, you know, making sure players get rewarded for what they do well. Um, and, you know, so I, I think that's always been part of our mindset, you know, being aggressive. And look, with that, we've had some, some significant hits. We've had some significant misses. Um, sometimes when you're doing after three years, you have incomplete data um, and things just don't work out. I think, you know, we, we've learned to to understand that risk reward of, of where that comes from. Uh, you know, I think for now, for us, what's a little bit different when you don't have, you know, those first round picks and that natural built in kind of three year windows, you know, you try to get deals done, you know, as players are headed in towards free agency, you know, with Matthew and the trade, um, you know, I think the way our salary cap was set up last year, you know, we did the trade with Matthew. We kind of knew we couldn't do a deal um, last year, both from a cash and a cap perspective. Uh, but it always said we, we'd be willing to jump right in after the season, which we did. Um, and, and Matthew was great with that. And, and then I think with the guys this year, it was very much an understanding of, you know, trying to, to get where we're going and figure that out. But I also think one of the things that's certainly changed, you know, our system right now, we have players who leave in free agency. And one of the hard parts for us is, you know, when you have those players who are coming up for a second deal that, you know, are significant contributors, we look at the Darius Williams, the Sebastian Joseph days, you know, Austin Corbett's, those kinds of guys, you're probably not doing those deals. And by the time they get to market, you know, obviously the price goes up and it's expensive. So, you know, there's that balancing act when it comes to doing uh, extensions, when it's trying to figure it out, you know, Tony and, you know, Les and crew have worked some magic before, you know, I think back to Tyler Higby to Rob Havenstein when we didn't have much to work with and we came up with deals that, you know, really worked for everybody and have stood the test of time. And so when you get to this point, it really takes a collaboration between player, agent, team uh, to make it work. And when you're having the kind of success we've had, that collaboration is usually a little bit easier, but, you know, it takes a great group of people and we have that. You know, Kevin, everybody knows about the aggressive Part, right. I mean, you guys have been doing it now for years, going back to the golf trade and hiring Sean McVay. Everything was building uh, to this point of, of you winning a Super Bowl, which mission accomplished. You did exactly what you wanted to do. I'm, I'm curious if if the mindset on that changes at all uh, now that you're at the top of the mountain and you're the one defending yourselves from from everybody else. Are you guys just as aggressive are you going forward with that same kind of mindset or does it change at all when you're trying to sustain something rather than trying to build something you know it's a great question rich and i think the sustaining is more emotional than it is from a strategic perspective you know one of the things we've talked about a lot in our office this offseason is nobody's repeated as a champion in 17 years and i'm sure all 17 teams thought they could and I'm sure all 17 teams thought that they were doing something different to be there. You know, I think one of the great advantages we had this year is having lost the Super Bowl in 2019 and how hard it was to come off of that um, and thinking we'd be the team to beat the curse, the Super Bowl losers curse. And we weren't. That was the only year we missed the playoffs in the Sean McVay era. And so I think we've tried to attack the 2022 season to build the best 2022 roster and beyond You know that we can. There are some sentimental decisions you make. I, you know, In the heat of the Vaughn Miller moments, you know, as that was coming down to the wire between us and Buffalo, the sentimental party really wanted to keep Vaughn Miller. Uh, such a huge asset for us down the stretch, uh, Ron, the leadership he provided, the play. Um, but the math just kept not working out. 
And, and I think that was the first time it was a pretty you know, sober realization very quickly into the 2022 journey that you couldn't just run it back, um, that you weren't just going to line it up and, and roll the football out and bring the same players back and get the same result. And so I think it's a blend. You know, you bring in the Bobby Wagners, the Allen Robinsons, who are really hungry for the Super Bowl title. In Allen's case, it's a chance to really go push and, and get there for the first time. For Bobby, it's a chance to get back to a place he was earlier you know, in the decade, I think for some of our players who didn't play as, you know, for the Tyler Higbee's, you know, of the world who who missed the Super Bowl or some of our players who missed because of injury, um, it's a chance for them to get back and, and play in the game. For everybody else, it's a chance to go prove that, you know, we can go do something that the teams haven't. And, you know, we, we've talked, you know, certainly I look at this as a franchise, you know, the Patriots set a bar that I, I'm not sure anybody's going to get to, nine Super Bowls in 18 years. That's just such an outlier. Um when you look at really no other teams gone more than two or three teams in the two or three times in the last 20. And, you know, the kind of the Packers have been to one Super Bowl, um, kind of the last 20, the Steelers, I think got to three, the Ravens have been to two, the Chiefs have been to two and four, the Seahawks got to two. Um, but I think what's most important is not to be one of those teams that kind of pops up and wins the Super Bowl, but to have some longevity. And, you know, if we could find a way in these next couple of years to get to that third Super Bowl, you know, ideally win it, You'd start to pull away from the pack of some of those teams that got, you know, there once or twice, maybe won one, didn't win one, and really start to go, you know, cement yourself in a different conversation. But I think for all of us that once you've checked that box, you know, it's a huge, uh, it's an exciting time in your franchise. It's huge to come back to L.A. and do that. But, you know, our goals for this franchise are not just to win a Super Bowl. It's to be one of the best teams in the NFL consistently, to be one of the best sports franchises in the world. And, And that is going to come, you know, needs to be many more Super Bowls than winning one, many more than getting to a couple. You need to be in that conversation every year. Yeah, Kevin, something that um, you and I have talked about a lot and something that Les talks about a lot is the idea of the the common denominator, the common denominator has to be staying agile, right? Because we've seen in the past teams try to keep together the almost the exact same roster, right? Um, and, And tried to sort of replicate the success they had the previous years. But one thing that you guys talked about, even up through the Super Bowl run itself, um, you know, is that the the best teams and some of those, yes, outlier Patriots teams, but some of those really solid Patriots teams, they did drastically change minus the quarterback every year. And so I kind of wonder how you guys have explored because balancing being very good and also trying and taking these risks to stay as agile as you can um how have you guys balanced that how have you tried to explore that agility over the last couple of seasons well i think you know it's hard and this is back you know almost in the rich hammond days but we i think we had three starters in the super bowl in 2019 and 2022 that were same it was aaron donald rob havenstein and andrew whitworth right so if you start to then you know tyler higby because of injury and a couple of guys played but didn't start but if you think of three starters out of 25 or I guess Johnny Hecker would make four. Four out of 25 are basically the same. You're already agile and different, and you're trying to uh, think about how you attack things differently. And, you know, I think for us, the mindset is to always be aggressive to try to build the best team you can. That doesn't mean you're always going to build it in the same way or with the same mindset. And I think a great example this year, you know, this is a team, you know, I think, you know, that hasn't typically valued a middle linebacker position the way the NFL is evolving. But, when you have the chance to go acquire a Bobby Wagner, you rethink that um, and you look more from the, the perspective of leadership that he's replacing that we've lost from an Eric Weddle, a Vaughn Miller, an Andrew Whitworth, you know, some of those guys and obviously showing it up, but also being a great mentor for Ernest Jones, who we're very excited about. And I know, Jordan, you wrote a long piece about today. You know, I think you always have to look at each year just as that year and then maybe a year or two beyond. And I think that the days of, the five-year plans in the NFL the, are, are really gone. You know, there was an interesting study this year. I mean, that we looked at. But there, I think there are nine teams that have missed the playoffs in both 2020 and 2021. Uh, the only head coach of those nine teams who has been through both is Matt Rule, who started in 2020. So, you know, if you look at the fact that there are nine teams that didn't make the playoffs out of the year and eight of them have changed coaches – you know, this is not a league that's built for five-year, seven-year plans anymore. It's just not built that way. And I think, you know, for us to be agile, to look at the world, I even think some of the things we used to do, 
you know, that got us here, the trades for Jalen Ramsey, the trades for Matthew Stafford, you know, even the Brandon Crooks, like it seemed to us at the time that there was a market inefficiency for veteran players who might have contract issues. Um, they were probably undervalued in the big picture. I think if you look at this offseason, be it Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, you know, on, so on and so forth, that market is corrected. Uh, Russell Wilson. And, you know, that market is no longer inefficient. It's probably pretty efficient. Uh, so for us to go find a way to build our team differently that other people are not, you know, we're going to always have to look for something a little bit different rather than just relying on the playbook that got us there. You know, I think Kevin's really taking his Kevin Demoff for the athletic tag extremely seriously because he's now plugged pieces that I've written twice which yeah. is the best feeling when a guest comes on. So thank you for doing that, <laughs> Kevin Demoff, for The Athletic. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, Kevin, but before we – we are going to take some questions, by the way, so uh, not, not ignoring you folks out there. Kevin can see the chat, too, so that's a good opportunity to drop in some stuff if you just want to say something or make a comment or uh, tell him how much you love him. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. But uh, – you know, Kevin, talking about we're doing a lot of forward-looking stuff here, obviously, because we've reached kind of a point in the offseason where we start to do that. Um, and, you know, Sean McVay's status is, is another thing that, that has come up, and, and that's obviously sorted itself out for, for this coming season. And I know Jordan has reported that, uh, you know, expecting uh, extensions for both Sean and Les to, to come down before training camp. But, you know, th there was a conversation that took place about, about Sean, uh, about his future, about maybe how long he wants to continue doing this. And, and Kevin, I want to be clear. I don't expect you to, to, to give us a, a full, uh, you know, answer here, but what have those conversations been like? Uh, is that something that you are looking down the road at? Is, is, are you having those open conversations with Sean about uh, these sort of issues about his future, or are you just kind of taking it uh, as a year by year thing? I, I think it's a good question, which I don't take as a year by year thing. And I, I think you ha if you're in our building, probably your perspective on the Sean conversation is a little bit different than outside. I was a little bit surprised, um, you know, kind of the Super Bowl run up, you know, when Sean said, you know, when he has a family, when he has kids that he wants to be more present, he may not want to coach. And, you know, that that was taken as, you know, getting married this summer may, you know, expedite that. And, and I don't think that was ever the case. I don't think that was in Sean's mind. I think Sean you know, views himself as a football coach. I, I think the great thing, you know, one of the things that makes Sean McVay who he is, he's an unbelievable communicator who, you know, has great wisdom about the game of football and knows how to say it. And that's made him attractive to, you know, media networks. So I think there are two different elements at play here. One is, you know, Sean, how long Sean wants to coach and how much he enjoys that. And I think that answer is certainly for a few more years. The other is the demands from the media world and when those opportunities arise. And, you know, obviously this year there was such shuffling, you know, in the TV landscape that there were opportunities for him to go to media for significant, you know, prices. And I think if that's what he really wanted to do, that's what he would have done. But I think his heart is in coaching uh, certainly for a while. Um, you know, I'm, I think we've always known with Sean uh, that his pace at which he works isn't necessarily sustainable, that it wasn't something that would lend itself to a 30, 40 year career. And, you know, Sean is, I think now the He's the second longest tenured head coach in the NFC, which is crazy to believe, behind Pete Carroll. I think he's wow. fifth or sixth overall. <laughs> and, you know, which goes to show you the shelf life of coaches and how it works. I think the hard part is because he started so young, people just, oh, he'll coach 20, 30 years. And, you know, I saw Gary Klein had the article, does he want to go chase Bill Walsh, you know, uh, Bill Belichick or, you know, Don Shula. And, no, and I think we've always kind of known that Sean, you know, would set – you know, a time in the sand when he would walk away and be happy doing it. Um, I don't think any of us ever thought it was this year. Sean was in demand. Uh, I think he's always going to be in demand, be it the NFL, media, college, when you've had the kind of start to his career uh, that he's had and you've had the success that the Rams have had. I would expect Sean to have interest from lots of parties every year. Um, I think our job is to make sure that the organization is an environment he enjoys being part of, that he enjoys coaching in, that you know, he feels challenged, but also rested and finding that balance. I think he's gotten better at that balance, you know, each year. Um, I feel for him when you look at the turnovers, his coaches uh, is unprecedented. You know, losing offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, position coaches in that tree. Um, I think his tree makes up over, you know, almost one sixth of the NFL right now, uh, which is crazy, you know, in and of itself. So, 
know, I think our conversations with Sean are always, are you enjoying this? What can we do to make it more enjoyable and to, you know, give you that longevity and enjoyment that you want? And then from there, he's going to have his own timetables that, you know, stem from his marriage, his family life. And I think he's always been clear that, you know, he wants to be a present father, that that's important to him. Uh, and I think our job is to make sure that as long as he wants to coach and we can provide him those parameters, that we're doing everything we can to give him the chance to be himself and to bring his whole self to work and, and to find that, you know, best we can work-life harmony for him, which is hard for someone who is as maniacal, uh, about football as he is. And I think he doesn't ever see himself doing it a different way. Um, maybe some of us can help him get there who have lived that life, but you know, it has been a joy to watch him, you know, grow, get better. It's hard to still believe that he's the youngest coach in the NFL, but he's still now one of the most tenured. And when you see a stat, like I saw last week that, you know, his regular season winning percentage and playoff winning percentage has always only been rivaled by that of Vince Lombardi and Bill Belichick. Uh, you do whatever you can to keep Sean McVay in good company for a long time. Yeah, that's not bad. That's really not bad. Um, yeah, as we really love to say uh, on this podcast, and I think Rich is having a couple of technical difficulties with the app, but um, we're going to get into questions here in a couple of minutes. Um, Kevin, as we love to say on this podcast, multiple things can be true at the same time, and it certainly is the case uh, with this situation with Sean. Yeah, look, the, the people like Sean McVay are always going to be uh, in demand by many people in the world. And, you know, that's a great thing for the Rams and a great thing for Sean McVay. Um, I want to pivot really quick because you mentioned the environment around the Rams. And, and we've also talked a lot about sustaining and also becoming a, a, a global brand and, and solidifying it as a permanent global brand. Um, I am probably among the the less than vocal minority of people who think it's just madly poetic that you guys won a Super Bowl in uh, temporary facilities. And if anyone has seen those facilities, um, just these emerald hills. And I love the the turf grass people. They're awesome. Shout out to those guys and, and women. Um, and it, there's these there are these two emerald or three emerald green fields and a giant tent carved out of the side of the hills, uh, you know, the very dry hills of, of Thousand Oaks, California. And that does lend itself to some environmental issues. The Rams had to move um, to the Rose Bowl, which, again, madly poetic uh, before their Super Bowl. Um, so I think I'm in the, the vocal minority of like, that was cool as hell. Um, but at the same time, Kevin, I, I wanted to check in with you guys. Uh, big, big patch of land just got bought by Mr. Uh, Stan Stan Kroenke there in Woodland Hills. And I wanted to check if you had any updates on that particular patch of land for us. I don't have any updates on that particular patch of land. Uh, you know, Stan's real estate arm, the Kroenke Group, has bought, you know, two plots of land at the Warner Center in Woodland Hills. One is the former Promenade site, which is entitled for 3.3 million square feet of development. That was done by Westfield, the previous owner that we, you know, bought in that entitlement. And then uh, just last week, we closed on the piece of land next door, uh, which is the former Anthem headquarters and, and the 25 acres that come there. So we now control, Stan now controls uh, 65 acres of contiguous land in, in Warner Center. And we'll begin the process of trying to evaluate if we can bring our practice facility there to do, you know, projects similar to the star or what has happened in Dallas or what Minnesota has recently done, uh, what the Panthers were looking at doing, you know, but from Stan's perspective, you know, while we've been in <laughs> our temporary facilities probably longer than any of us expected, you know, two things had to come true. One is he had to find a, a great piece of land that he thought was worthy of developing in a similar fashion to to Hollywood Park. And it had to set, check both the real estate box component of, you know, is it a good place to go develop, you know, mixed use office, retail, residential? And is it a good place for the Rams? And I think if you look, you know, right now, the smallest practice facility in the NFL um, for a club is about 19 to 20 acres, and that's Seattle, who has a great practice facility. So when you started this journey, you really realized that 20 acres was going to be the minimum to do a practice facility. So how do you go acquire enough land around it? Um, if you start with 20 acres just for a practice facility, how do you get to, you know, to do office, residential, retail? You're starting to be 50, 60 plus acres. That's really hard to find in Los Angeles in a place that you know, you want to be that, that works for us from a strategic perspective, from a football perspective, from a business perspective, you know, and I always thought that that hunt would take about a year or two. And here we are in year six. Um, there's a lot that would have to do for the Rams to, to get to that piece of land. You know, the entitlements would have to 
you know, change to incorporate a practice facility. We're going to have to work with the neighbors and city council and a lot of different people on what that would look like. We're just starting now that we have the two plots of land uh, to think about what could happen, what needs to happen for the ramps to come there and engage the neighbors in that conversation. But, you know, we have always, um, even dating back to the ye old days when Rich Hammond covered the ramps, which seems like ages ago, um, had our target on being in the San Fernando Valley as our headquarters. You know, it's a space the teams just haven't embraced um, in Los Santos for whatever reason. You know, everybody kind of winds up, you know, in that South Bay corridor, you know, Playa Vista with the Clippers. And a lot of that I understand given the travel perspective of the other teams, how many flights in and out of LAX they take, the size of land they need, which is only you know, about five to 10 acres for ice or, you know, basketball courts. Uh, but for us, it was always about getting the San Fernando Valley, really unlocking the potential, you know, that entire region, you know, as Rams fandom, embracing it, understanding its value to the makeup of Los Angeles, allowing our players to stay and coaches to live where they already do from Thousand Oaks to Woodland Hills, the Conejo Valley, which has been a great home. All of those, our players not having to move the right real estate space, you know, the right team space, all trying to come together. I think we've got a great opportunity uh, at Warner Center. We're going to spend the next you know, foreseeable future, trying to make sure we can make that happen, you know, for the Rams. All right, Kevin, one more question before we get to the reader fan questions and the good news, I guess either the good news or the bad news is I think I'm about to wipe out about 48% of the questions, right? What could it be? What could it possibly be? It's the moment your entire life has been building toward Kevin Demoff. I think this is the, this is titled why I left the athletic, right? <laughs> this is it. Are you submitting your resignation right take, now? Take the title right, off. Take the right. title off. <laughs> all right. Let's just, let's walk through it real quickly. Okay. And then I, I'm going to let you go in whatever direction you want to go here. Okay. You get to the Super Bowl. You make the choice to wear modern throwback uniforms, which was a departure because it was not the blue or not the boat. You have had the ability, I, I believe you, you announced um, that there would be another set of uniforms coming this offseason. Um, you also have the ability, as I understand it, to introduce a second helmet uh, if you would like to. There has been considerable, Kevin, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in case you're not, there's been considerable discussion about what the uniforms will look like in 2022 whether or not you're pivoting toward the modern throwbacks and away from the bone, as many people noticed in your media day uh, um, output to your content that was put out. Where, what is the state of the LA Rams uniforms in 2022, Kevin Demoff? Well, that's a, a leading question. Um, I knew it was coming. I'm not sure that the echo chamber of your social media, Rich, is... <laughs> you know, the overall viewpoint of the fanboys because your social media is <laughs> all Taylor Swift uniforms and hockey. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, whatever that Venn diagram is, the, the sweet spot, um, you know, I'm one here. So yeah, a couple of things. When we did our uniform switch in 2020, um, you are allowed four uniform combinations or four different jerseys. You're allowed kind of the combinations are, are different. Um, you're allowed a primary color a primary light jersey a and then two out of three of the following you can have a classic jersey which is basically the exact same jersey you've worn previously uh you can have an alternate jersey which is any combination you want kind of of your current color scheme uh and alternates and then you can have a color rush jersey which is one of your colors kind of top to bottom um, in 2020, we announced uh, only two, which was the blue and the bone, um, with the idea that we would then announce in subsequent years uh, a different uniform. Last year, we announced the, the modern white throwback in 2021, and we'd always been pointing towards 2022 to announce the fourth. Uh, we Earlier this year, we said there's not going to be a fourth this year, and there are a couple of reasons behind that. Um, first and foremost, the supply chain issues that we've struggled through the past few years getting jerseys made printed have been real um i I can't open up twitter or my email any day without people asking for white super bowl jerseys with the super bowl patch um which we struggle to get produced we struggle to get produced in the super bowl uh and so we just knew if we introduced a new uniform this year 
we're still trying to get caught up on all the distribution for our blue, white, and bone jerseys. That it just didn't make sense for retailers or for us. Um, that was one. Two, uh, with the helmet announcement, and, and Rich kind of alluded to it, the NFL allow now is allowing teams to have a second helmet. That for many years you can only have your primary helmet. We were okay in that world because when we had a helmet, we we just have stickers on our helmet, so we could change from yellow to white. Uh, to whatever color horns we wanted because it was just a sticker and we had permission from the NFL to do that. But for teams, you know, I think the Patriots, uh, the Buccaneers that come to mind that have either a Pat Patriot or the cream school helmet, you couldn't wear those helmets. Um, You had to wear your your normal helmet. The NFL last year said for this year, if you're already planning uniform change, you could change your helmet. Um, But, you know, as we were going through the designs, you had to make a decision last fall, um, whether you know to push forward on a design for this summer and we just weren't far enough along incorporating previous helmets that that we liked uh where that was going to go um and and so and then the third is you know we have a you know a new chief marketing officer cap frederick who joined last summer i really wanted to give her the time to dive into the rich hammond uniform world um understand the three choices we had and and what made sense moving forward because we only have one choice left in our closet uh, to change, you know, in this period of time. So with all of that, there will be no changes to the uniforms this year, no fourth uniform this year, likely, uh, for 2023, I would imagine it's when we're targeting. Um, but that obviously could get pushed back to 2024 as well. If we don't have a a great idea, there's no reason to introduce uniform just for the sake of introducing one. Uh, Yes, we wore modern white throwbacks for the Super Bowl. Uh, the Bengals had first choice being the home team. They chose black. Uh, we thought white would look better. The league did too versus the bone. Um, and, you know, we really liked the idea we wore white in our first game at SoFi. We liked kind of this, some symbolic nature. We wore white, you know, in the Super Bowl in 1999. Um, so all of that kind of lined up with the way we wanted to go in the Super Bowl. Yes, you did not see the bone jerseys at Media Day. There is a practical reason for that, which is last year's Media Day had the blue and the bone jerseys. We did not have white jerseys last year at Media Day, so we don't have photos for – we didn't have any photos of our players in white jerseys um, except for what they were wearing in season. So we did not need to capture the content in bone. Um, so, But that being said, I think you can expect us to try to wear white more often uh, in 2022 than we did in 2021, uh, and boneless white does appear to be a fan favorite. Um, players do like it. Uh, and so we're in the midst of kind of, as we submit by mid July, kind of the, the uniform lineup for the year to the NFL, um, trying to figure out how many times we can wear white, how many times we can wear bone, how many times we wear blue. And, and we'll go from that in the next question, because I know you got to teed up rich is when you send in your, Uniform, you only send in tops. You don't send in bottoms. So uh, does that help you kind of – does that help lay the landscape (laughs) where we are now? Oh, absolutely. Kevin, if you announced what the pants were going to be every – in advance, I wouldn't have any Twitter content. Like, Yeah, you're doing this as a favor for Rich. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I need that to be a week-to-week thing because otherwise I don't know what I would tweet about. And and, and I think to that point – the pants are usually a player choice. Um, every week, kind of the players who, you know, not just captains, but players who like the fashion, um, they get together and talk about pants. Some of it's based on uh, how we've played in them. We're all aware of the records, um, you know, of them. Uh, I will say, Rich, and, and I don't know if this has come out publicly, there was a player push at one point in the playoffs for blue on blue. Um, that was nixed by management. Um, given the history of blue on blue. Uh, But for the most part, when you see the pant combination with uh, the tops, it is all player driven. Um, And we give them that freedom, you know, the look good, play good, feel good uh, aspect. You know, we have the pants, they have the jerseys, they know them. Uh, It's usually Jalen Ramsey that's driving the train, but, but many others have joined in uh, over time. And so when you see a look, um, it is usually, I'd say 95% of the time, 
you know, player driven. Sometimes there are, you know, Brendan Berger, who's our excellent equipment manager. You know, if we have a short week, you know, maybe we play Sunday to Thursday and we're supposed to wear the same outfit. He might change the pants from a laundry perspective. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not just, uh, you know, reading Twitter or social media and, and reacting to that. <laughs> yes, of course. But when presented with the advanced analytics of the uniforms, exactly. uh, that that five, that three to five percent variance that is possible. Um, I personally, you know what? I think it's I think it's a public service that that Rich is is providing it, here, and and someone you, has Rich. to do it. You know, Rich, someone has to do the dirty work, Rich. You know, the advanced yeah, analytics, I, I, though, I, right? I, like we you we use the advanced analytics for week eighteen. Um, we had never lost in bone and blue, uh, blue tops, bone pants. Um, so that's why we wore them week 18 against the 49ers. Obviously that didn't work. You know, we switched to blue and yellow for the playoffs, you know, that run. But, you know, I think one of the, the, the great things, um, about, you know, the uniforms and the jerseys that change. And, you know, we always believe that, you know, jerseys are about the memories that are made in them while players are wearing them. Um, the modern white throwbacks will have popularity always because we won the Super Bowl in them. It's just, you know, that's just the truth. Um, no one's just like, wow, I love when they lost to the Tennessee Titans, you know, in week nine in the, the white and yellow. Um, but we won the Super Bowl in those. So those always hold a special place in people's hearts. The blue tops, the yellow pants that we wore for the playoff journey uh, this year, obviously great memories, Tampa, San Francisco, Arizona, and you know, that is always going to be true with uniforms. It's about the memories you make while players are wearing them. It's not just, you know, laundry. It's not just fashion. It is the moments and the plays made in them by our players that, that resonate with fans. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, we joke a lot about it, but the, but those are the memories you, you remember. Uh, you know, everybody remembers when you, we, you were a kid growing up. You remember what your favorite team wore, how they looked, what your favorite player uh, those are the images that you, that you have in your mind. So a lot of people made that connection now with the Super Bowl. I mean, any, anytime those Super Bowl highlights are shown for the rest of eternity, uh, they're going to be in those modern throwbacks, and people are going to associate those Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams with, with those uh, uniforms. So I think it's wise, Kevin. Oh, boy, is there a lot there for me to digest. I'm going to have to take a little nap and, and think about all of that. But uh, appreciate it. Uh, in all sincerity, thank you for your for your uh, your honesty there and your uh, forthcoming nature. Um, and uh, let's get to some questions. Uh, we we have some lined up already. There's been some folks patiently waiting. I'm just going to throw out one caveat real quick. Time is an issue here, and we we are going to have a lot of questions. Um, Kevin's doing us a great service here by making himself available to answer these questions. So uh, my, my only uh, plea is to uh, please get to the question as quickly as possible. The chat function is still there. You guys have been great filling up that chat with your comments or whatever. Kevin can read those. Uh, so if you have things you want to say, if you have suggestions you want to make, go ahead and throw those in the chat. But uh, we want to get to the questions uh, as quickly as we can here. So uh, I'm going to we have some teed up. Like we said, Joshua, Joshua has been on hold since uh, since I think we started here. So uh, hopefully, so, uh, you're, you're, hopefully still you're, you're still with us. Uh, I am ready to ask. Um, OK, Kevin, so I'll, I'll be quick because Rich has begged us. So recently at the um, MIT uh, Sports Analytics Conference, you talked about how the Rams approach to the draft is about finding advantages in a competitive marketplace where that's not easily replicable by other teams. So now that the whole F them pick strategy has, you know, pervaded the league, is there like extra pressure or an extra or a, a bigger push on shifting the organizational philosophy now that, um, you know, everybody's trading their picks now? Is there a new approach within the organization to try and stay competitive with that going on around the league now? I look, approach to the draft is so misunderstood. And I, I know Jordan's written the article, you know, many times we've had, I think the second most picks in the Sean McVay are just not high picks. Um, so the FM picks while you know, less enjoyed it and care what made him wear the shirt for the parade, uh, you know, ultimately gets down to, it might be FM high picks, but, but not overall. I, I think, you know, the, the one great thing about, you know, and I look at this from an analytics perspective, a data perspective, a video perspective, um, you know, over time, we've been able to analyze so many more players because of modern technology. But the number of drop picks has stayed static. Um, it's still seven rounds, about 255 to 260 picks. Uh, and so your information on all the players you draft gets better and the information on players down the road uh, gets better. And I think for us, it's always going to be about honing 
in on what makes for a good Rams player, you know, what makes for a good Rams prospect, you know, what are the traits we value that maybe are undervalued around the league, you know, about 40 time versus GPS, I think probably people will catch up on. And, you know, I think just like if you follow any sport that's been ahead of football and analytics, you know, basketball, like you're going to have to change your strategy, you know, on base percentage used to be all that what people talked about in baseball, then it became hitting home runs and slugging percentage. So, you know, I think for us, there are two things. One on the draft is always finding the right players, um, that, that blend of personnel from Les and his scout sides to, you know, the kind of traits that Sean and his coaches value and can coach up and can allow players to grow. And then the second is where the league is zigging, you're going to try to zag and trying to always figure that out. And could I see a scenario in which we embrace first-round picks if they're about? Of course. You know, I, I think our mantra is to be aggressive, to try to find the inefficiencies of the NFL where we spot them. Um, that may happen, that may not. You know, the NFL, given the salary cap, given national revenues and how equally dispersed money is, like we do not see the market inefficiencies in football that we see in other leagues, given, you know, a team like Cincinnati or Green Bay and smaller markets can compete with the New Yorks and the L.A.s of the world. Um, that's different in baseball and basketball, hockey, um, and that really drives some of those teams to go find analytics and market inefficiencies. It doesn't exist as much in football. So I think our hope is always to study that, to try to stay ahead of the curve and, you know, do the best we can. And part of that is our, our model with high price players requires that. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Um, all right. I'm going to pull up Mosiah M. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Um, my question was, is there any way you can give the names of the guys who run the social media team or, the media team on like the YouTube channel or post the videos on the Twitter because ever since you guys moved to LA, those guys do a great job with the sounds of the games, the mic'd ups, even the video. I think I was posted like 30, 45 minutes ago with the rookies looking at their messages from their parents. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to those guys because ever since we moved back to LA, they've been a great, great addition to the team, just giving us fans the insight of what the team's doing and the draft process and the, the those four mini series, the draft process that comes together, just looking for recognition for those guys. Well, certainly uh, we, we can get them up on, on social media. Marissa Daly oversees all of our, our media. She and her team do an amazing job. Uh, Taylor Gilkison, Kurt G's, you know, everybody, if you go up and down uh, social media and, and beyond does a fantastic job and maybe we'll figure out a, a special recognition, you know, maybe like CBS does, you know, at the end of March Madness, when they show all the people in the truck or, or for Thanksgiving, maybe we'll figure out a way to go do that because uh, it's very well deserved for that end of the house. All right. Good stuff. Uh, it's uh, That's a challenge. I mean, you got to keep people engaged, uh, you know, 12 months a year. And uh, you guys do a fantastic uh, job of that on a daily basis. So let's uh, get on to the next question. Sky. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Kevin? Can you hear me? I can. All right. A couple of technical questions. Kind of funny asking anything technical because really we're all just basking in the glory of that season. Um, but uh, seeing as how we lost Traven Howard, I was wondering, do you plan on uh, maybe bringing Taylor Rapp in the box even more to, to spell that loss? And then the other question I had was just with the running back stable. It seems like health has really been an issue for all of those guys. Are we looking to, to – are we keeping our feelers out for anyone on, might hit the market uh you know from training camp or what and i but I'll you know I, I think for the first question about you know Traven, obviously with bobby and, and Ernest, um you feel good about the starters taylor you know you saw so many situations last year where whether it was taylor rapp or eric weddle we dropped the safety down in the box to help um you know i, I think with, with jalen in the star position you see so many different ways to provide a more physical presence and you know, I, we're not going to close the door on Traven either. You know, Traven, one of those people who kind of falls unfortunate prey, you know, once the RFA tender really has spiked to to two and a half million, it, it puts a lot of these players, and whether it was Kenny Young last year, Traven Howard this year, in this weird spot where, you know, that deal is pretty expensive for players on a one-year deal expiring contract. So either you need to get a multi-year deal done or, you know, whether you're going to carry someone to that number for the year, whether they're a starter or a backup. Ken, you know, Kenny was a starter and, you know, still that number in the way that we allocate our resources just didn't make sense. So, you know, we'll leave the door open, hopefully, for Traven to come back. And, you know, obviously he's on the market now, can go explore, you know, obviously from there, whether it's, you know, Christian Roseboom or, or some of the players who are coming back, 
you know, from last year, some of the young kids, you know, lots of opportunities, you know, inside and Justin Hollins can flex inside. So I think we're excited about those possibilities. And, you know, look, I think from the running back perspective, you know, I always think, you know, Jordan and Rich can tell you this, like there's so much made about how many reps people get in the spring. And, you know, we've been so careful with our players, you know, last year, 17 game season for the first time, add on four more games, you know, that our team played, you played in a mid February. We've just tried to rest guys, you know, so much, you know, this off season, give the younger guys reps. And so, you know, whether it's a Daryl Henderson who sat out, you know, with a little bit, you know, of an issue, so much of this is just managing guys to be smart. Even the, the Matthew Stafford elbow stuff, you know, you're not going to win a Super Bowl in, in May or June just by getting the reps. You're going to get it from the neck above stuff, which all of our guys were able to participate in it and go from there. It was great to see Jake Funk get, you know, a ton of work. You know, Kyron got work before, you know, he unfortunately hurt his foot. You know, we should have everybody available in training camp, you know, ready to go, you know, and, you know, work through the running back position there. And I, I think like every position on our team, you know, we always want to give the first chance to the guys in the building, those who are starters, those who are backups in training camp to prove their value. If you get to the end of camp and you're a little concerned about your depth, that's when you trade for a Sony Michelle like we did uh, last year or other places. Like, But let's make sure that we give every chance we can to Jake Funk and to Kyron, to Daryl Henderson, you know, to Raymond Clay, Xavier Jones, you know, that group rather than just immediately pivoting to the outside because – Usually the answer is going to come from within your building rather than outside of your building. Thanks, Kevin. Um, great question there, Sky, as well. Um, great question so far, guys. I also uh, I feel kind of bad. I don't want anyone to think that uh, Rich and I's back and forth on Twitter has shamed anyone into not asking about Odell Beckham Jr. So I would be remiss, Kevin, if I didn't sneak in a quick question about Odell here. Um, and I'm sure we have people in the audience and I know in the chat that have, have wanted to know about it, too. Um, I, I've sort of repeated the situation ad nauseum here, Kevin, as, I, as I'm sure you've seen, but I'm kind of wondering if you can expand on the context of his situation, because this isn't one of those things to me with a hard timeline. Um, and, and, you know, everybody has been very public about wanting him back, but I'm wondering if you can explain the context of sort of the timeline you're working with here. Yeah, well, I, Jordan, I think it goes back to the beginning of the conversation. We're talking about, you know, re-signing our, our guys. Where you know, there are natural inflection points where you sign players, you know, before free agency, beginning of free agency. You know, some players make a decision right before the draft, so the teams don't go in and draft a replacement. You know, after the draft, teams kind of look at maybe what they had hoped to draft and didn't get to draft, and then they go fill those holes, you know, with veteran free agents. With Odell, I think. You know, given, you know, the rehab, the timeline of coming back probably mid to, you know, later in the year, you know, I just think that the sense of urgency, both from his side and probably from our side and maybe other teams, you know, is it's not right there for him. I think we would love to have him back. Uh, we would welcome him back with open arms tomorrow, uh, even after he crashed Sean's wedding, um, which was, you know, enjoyable and great to see him there. We, we would have welcomed him back. And, you know, if you had... Crash the head coach's wedding, you still want to resign you, you know, it's a good sign. But, you know, Odell was such a huge piece of what we did. I actually happened to come back from dinner last night and NFL Network had the NFC Championship, you know, and Super Bowl on. And, you know, you forget, you know, the Super Bowl, obviously, he was playing so well on pace to be MVP. You forget in the NFC Championship game, I think he had 10 catches, 100 plus yards, some big, big catches. Um, it was a key piece of what we did throughout the playoffs. And I think everybody would love to have Odell the player back, Odell the person back. You know, Odell, the human being, he was a great asset for us. We enjoyed having him around. You know, but I think ultimately when you're in a resource allocation, when you know a player who would probably come in and help you, you know, maybe for the last few weeks, but really in the playoffs, your focus right now has to go on those who are going to be here for training camp, start the season for you. And then how much can you leave for a player like o of Odell's caliber? I think we didn't have a salary cap. We could have signed Odell months ago and, you know, would have loved to. Is it a multi-year deal? Is it a one-year deal? all kinds of variables that, that come into Odell. Um, the one variable that hasn't changed is how much we love him and want him to be there. I think he's, you know, expressed over social, his desire to be here. You know, am I optimistic we can get a deal done over time? Yes. Uh, do I think a healthy Odell is a contributor for all 32 teams in the NFL? Yes. And I, I think that's probably, you know, the point we're at fingers crossed. It would be great to have him back, but also, you know, we've got to get, you, know, you still have Van Jefferson. You've got a two-trap. Well, you've got a Ben Skronik. Uh, you know, we have all of these players. We've got to get up to speed for the season because no, even if Odell signs tomorrow and we line up against the Buffalo Bills, he's not playing. 
Um, so we've got to, you know, Les and Sean and crew have to do their job to get that 53-man roster, you know, down from 90 to 53, ready to go beat the Bills, the Falcons, you know, the Cardinals, the 49ers, and those games are just as important as when Odell is back. Well, I, for one, thank you for that context, Kevin. I, for one, am looking forward to um, the headline that will be streaming across platforms saying, Ram CEO Kevin Demoff, quote-unquote, optimistic to get a deal done with with Odell Beckham Jr. Um, thank you so much for that context. Um, <laughs> I, and I would say, Jordan, I, I, I think we are. Like, we're all yeah. hopeful and optimistic now. Look, we were optimistic, you know, we'd get Vaughn Miller back. That didn't happen. Um, you know, the, you know, there are 31 other teams that, that want to get better too. And, you know, I think the great thing about Del, Odell, he has a great relationship with the organization. He performed at a high level. He's deserving, you know, of a new deal and excited to get him back in, in rehabbing. Uh, we'd all love for it to go our way. If it doesn't, we'll certainly understand that perspective as well. Uh, but I think, you know, both sides have had open dialogue, both sides, um, respectful, excited, uh, and, you know, couldn't be more grateful for what Odell did for our team uh, last year and the chance to meet him and to watch him, you know, flourish in LA. Yeah. You know, I will add to that, Kevin, that um, talked to a lot of players on background or behind the scenes about Odell over the last, you know, eight months or so, if it's been that long, which I'm not even sure it's been that long, but since he arrived and have heard nothing, this, this is a group that genuinely loves that guy. Um, and I think that's also important context to factor into. But I want to make sure that we get a couple more questions. And I know your time's valuable. So I'm going to pull Marv L. up on stage. Jonathan L. Yes, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you again, Kevin, for for your time. Um, I guess the quick question I have, I know you touched on it earlier uh, in the, the session. But, um, you know, how do you balance, uh, you know, you, you get contracts for like, uh, you know, Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup and, uh, Matthew Stafford done, but how do you balance, you know, getting the stars, uh, paid with, you know, the, the, the other needs, you know, you have Rob Havenstein coming up this year and, you know, we've seen some stuff, um, over the last, you know, week about how the cap gets maybe not manipulated, but, you know, the intricacies of the cap. So how do you, you know, how do you balance those situations with, you know, the, the long-term success of the organization? Well, I think it's a great question, Jonathan. And, you know, Tony Pastors, who, you know, oversees all of our football and business administration, does an amazing job. Cassandra, who works with him, uh, AJ, they all do an amazing job trying to figure this out. For us, you know, one of the things with getting a Stafford, Donald, Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey done is that locks in, okay, now you have an idea of, you know, what you have to play with. Uh, if those are your fixed costs, then you get to the variable costs for the rest of the roster. And the rest of the roster is just as valuable. And I think, you know, people will say all the time, well, the Rams don't have a salary cap. And I, I kind of point to, you know, we had to release Traven Howard because we have a salary cap. You know, we had to trade Robert Woods because we have a salary cap. We lost, you know, four key starters from last year because we have a salary cap. Like, we have a salary cap. We play by the same rules as everybody else. But also you're starting to think ahead. David Edwards, Rob Havenstein, Greg Gaines, David Long, you know, Nick Scott. You start to go down the list. Um and how can you address those deals? Can you address those deals? Matt Gay, you know, and, and try to keep everybody happy. And, you know, but things change, right? A year ago, if I told you that, you know, hey, Nick Scott was going to be, you know, a priority given his play in the playoffs, you know, you might sit there and <laughs> not expect that. that. That's the way things change. Nick played himself into conversation for a starting role of safety that he's competing for. And, you know, Greg Gaines are in a spot as a starter, you know, replacing Sebastian, you know, who moved on. And you'll get the compensatory pick for them. But I think – it's trying to balance what's great for the team, you know, having a team atmosphere amongst all of the players, um, everybody understanding, you know, what their role is and trying to treat everybody fairly just because, you know, you pay a couple of superstars at a high level. You also want to make sure everybody else has a deal that's reflective of their value um, so that you don't wind up with hard feelings, right? I mean, I think that's the balancing the team nature of this sport. We won this Super Bowl with all 60, you know, nine players, 53 starters, 16 practice squad players, and you know, in those final few minutes of the Super Bowl, it took all 69 of those guys to help us go win a title, plus some guys we pulled out of retirement off the street. And if you ever lose that spree decor, that willingness to really run through a wall, knowing you're going to get taken care of or have your chance to earn it elsewhere, I think that's when our model would fall apart. It's it's certainly been a ride, Kevin, and uh, I can't imagine what it's been like, uh, the view from your, from your seat. And uh, I know the ride isn't over. 
But uh, we are approaching our end here. Kevin's been very generous with his time. We are going to take one more question. Tom C has been hanging around and has been patient. So, uh, Tom, if, if you're there, Tom, can you hear us? You're there, can you hear us? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Hey, good. Hey, Kevin. Uh, thanks a lot for, for this space. It's been great. Hey, just want to follow up on that last question. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, we all know the, the NFL is known as a copycat league. Uh, the Rams are sort of changing the way or appear to be changing the way things are done with all the higher end contracts, those uh, superstars at those high leverage positions. And Jordan does a great job of keeping us abreast and, and teaching us about this team build strategy on a regular basis. But one of the things, the big give up, it appears, is the middle class contract, those veterans that make sort of below $15 million. And the Rams, were, you know, last year had many more snaps by by guys that made over $15 million than they did that by veterans that they made that made under $15 million. And they were the only team that did that, and it wasn't even close. So do you feel like the middle class is sort of being, you know, being – on its way out, if you will, or diminished? Um, and do you think that you see that as a trend going forward in the league? Yeah, I, Tom, it's a great question. I, I think for us, you know, that middle class has been eliminated. Um, I don't know that that's going to be a trend throughout the league. You know, when if you study rosters, some teams go all middle class and, and try to avoid the higher end. And you know, I think the one thing, you know, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. There is no one formula that works in the NFL. Um, our formula has worked for the past few years. It may work for the next few. It may not. Um, I think arrogance in the NFL is believing that you've solved something that nobody else has solved for a long period of time. Nobody has done that. Um, this is a humbling league. Uh, the schedule, the draft, um, it's the only league where every element is designed for parity. Obviously, lots of leagues have drafts, but you know other leagues have lotteries. We're the only league where the schedule you know, punishes the good team with harder schedules and rewards the bad teams with easier schedules, quote unquote. Um, everything here is designed for parity. You have shared revenue, you know, and a much greater allowance, which allows people to go and compete. Um, and so I think the moment you think that you have an advantage over everybody else is the moment you're behind. Um, I think, and I've said this before, the most arrogant thing you can think is that we're better at drafting, developing, paying, playing than everybody else in the NFL. Like, we, we have found a formula that has worked for us for the past few years. Um, but I think everybody has to follow their own formula that's going to work authentically for them. I'm not sure that this model would work um, maybe in a smaller, you know, more, you know, blue collar city. Uh, and usually teams wind up taking on the, the construct or the vibe of their population because that's what resonates with fans and, and how things work. You know, in L.A., it's a very, you know, if you look at the Dodgers, Lakers, big time teams, it's a star driven model. It's an entertainment model that's competitive and that has worked for us as well but you know i think we would always love to be able to pay an austin corbett a sebastian joseph day you know a darius williams we're just not set up for that and you know it may work completely different um for other teams uh the nfc west has been an arms race for a couple of years you see you know maybe a couple of resets there you know the afc west you look at that has turned into an arms race so I think first and foremost, when you look at the NFL, you're always just looking at your division first, right? The quickest way to the playoffs is just to be better than three other teams. And for us, we constantly have to evaluate how do we beat Seattle, San Francisco, and Arizona. That's first and foremost. Then how do you compete in the NFC? And then how do you compete in the overall landscape you know, of the NFL? Because you know, being better than you know, thinking you're better or matching up against you know, teams that are 16 through 32 may not matter if you never face them on the schedule. I, I We struggle in cold weather, but I don't think it makes any sense to build us as a cold weather team um, because you may never wind up there. Look at what happened in the playoffs last year. And, you know, so I, I think when you look at how you build your team, you build it at what's best for you. You build it to the resources available. You know, I've always said we would never I would never imagine making a defensive tackle the highest paid player on your team unless you have Aaron Donald, you know, as your defensive tackle. Um and, you know, if you have a Todd Gurley as a running back or, you know, you wind up, I'm sure, you know, there are teams that wouldn't expect to make a tight end the highest paid. But if you have George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, you know, you work around the talent that you draft, that you develop, um, and that makes you specific to you. And so, you know, I don't view the NFL. People say it's a copycat league. I think everybody's running their own race. We've got to get better in 2022 if we want to repeat, you know, 
forget about Super Bowl champions, just repeat as NFC West champions, just to repeat as NFC champions. And, you know, I think the group is excited about that task, but it comes from drafting, developing, finding some of those hidden gems, finding some of those undrafted free agents and watching, you know, our players blossom, watching the Nick Scotts and the Greg Gaines and the Ben Skronix and the Bryson Hopkins, you know, and the Kendall Blantons and the Brian Allens and the David Edwards and the Joe Notebooms. Watching all of those players grow and contribute is just as rewarding as seeing a Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald shine. Just awesome stuff from you today, Kevin, and thank you so much for for being so gracious with your time. You guys, this episode will be available um, as a podcast episode later this afternoon after our super producer, Kent Garrison, gets done uh, making us sound even better than we already do. Um, In the meantime, Kevin, again, thank you so much for for taking the time. I'm sure every subscriber and listener in this group um, and many, many more who will uh, be listening to this later on could echo that sentiment. Just fantastic insight here today. Uh, always a pleasure to join. I get to join again next June. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll make sure Rich, which has 364 days to, to ponder uh, uniforms. But look, anytime we can chat directly with a fan. Awesome. Well, I think uh, I think we lost you right at the end there. But I think what you're going to say is uh, anytime you get to cha- a chance to chat with the fan base. And I agree. It's a really smart fan base group of really solid questions as usual guys pat yourselves on the back um you know we will still continue on with our regularly scheduled programming of 11 personnel through the summer months a couple episodes a month maybe one or two live rooms too as we ramp up training camp um but in the meantime guys um really hope you guys are are being well and, and living right and treating each other great and we'll catch you next time